This episode is brought to you by our brand new title sponsor for 2023, Pillar Performance. If you've been listening to the show, you've heard me tell the story multiple times about how I reached out to Pillar to support the show because I'd started using their triple magnesium powder to help with my sleep. I was such a shit sleeper and I was waking up tired to do my morning training session every single day. I'd always struggle to fall asleep. I'd wake up a lot. I was constantly sick and injured. And honestly, I heard Pillar sponsor another podcast and was like, stuff it. I'm going to try it. Uh, I then started sleeping so much better. I stopped waking up feeling shit and even the opposite, to be honest, I actually started to wake up refreshed and feeling really keen to train. And that was a feeling I'd literally never had in my entire life. And I would always be the person at morning training sessions wondering like, how do these morning people have energy? And you'd look around and you'd see three or four of, of other people like me who had clearly had shitty sleeps and were <laughs> like the last place they wanted to be was on the pool deck or at that 5am rollout on the bike. So yeah, I reached out to, to Pillar and they said yes to sponsoring a couple of episodes in 2022 and now a few months later we've we've teamed up and I'm so proud to have them on board as the, the title sponsor for the show all year long in 2023. Uh, I never thought the podcast of how they train might be something that became a career for me but thanks to those of you who listen every single week and share the show with friends and especially those of you who choose to support the show over on Patreon and give me $2 of your hard-earned money every single week and and now the support of Pillar Performance, it's actually become a reality that, that this is what I'll do this year. So if you'd like to try Pillar for, for yourself, I highly recommend you start by grabbing a tub of their triple magnesium powder. You can do that just over at the Pillar, Pillar Performance shop. Just, just Google that or click the link in the description. Use the code HTT10, um, which gets you $10 off uh, the, the triple magnesium powder or, or anything. Um, it gets you $10 off any order you do online if you want to get a, a few more products from them. Um, it's basically getting 30% off a, a tub of triple magnesium powder if that's a, a place where you want to start like me and, and then branch out into a few of their other products like I use their zinc and, um, and their immune support every, every single day as well. Um, it's, a, it's just a massive, a massive way that you can support the show and get something out of it for yourself, the, again, the same way I did. I've also been messaged by quite a lot of brands on Instagram to, to sponsor the show. Like they'll just slide into your, your DMs and, and say, would you be interested to, to work together or, or for us to sponsor a few episodes? And honestly, I've said no to every single one of them. I've only ever reached out to brands to, to get them to, to jump on the show. And the reason why is because I don't want to come on and, and tell you all about something that I don't actually believe in or don't use. That's why I'm so passionate about spreading the pillar performance message. Um, so if you're someone who trains... Uh, you know, especially if you're someone who trains and takes it a little bit seriously and it's really important to you, then I truly believe that, that taking Pillar Performance's triple magnesium powder 30 minutes before bed every night is something you wish you started months ago, uh, which is exactly how I felt. Also, to kick off the partnership, me and Pillar are getting together to give away a massive prize pack valued over 2,000 US dollars, which is about 3,000 Australian dollars or about 2,000 euros. Um, the prize pack contains one times free entry to any full distance Ironman race globally. It's also a Pillar Performance gift card valued at over $200 USD. And I love this one. We're, we've teamed up with Pip Taylor, who is one of the world's 
best performance dietitians. She's worked with um, the Australian Olympic team, uh, numerous different pr- professional sporting teams and, and professional triathletes. So you're going to get a one-hour free nutrition consultation with Pip Taylor um, where you can talk about anything, absolutely anything you want with your with your diet or your nutrition, whether it be your race day nutrition, your day-to-day nutrition, any nutrition goals you have, nutrition questions, whatever you want. Um, you can also chat about a bit of pillar product if you want, if there might be anything that helps you. But yeah, it, you don't even have to. It's just an hour there with Pip Taylor. Uh, so we, we've made it so easy to enter this competition. Um, literally all you have to do is be following both the how they train podcast and the pillar performance podcast Instagrams. If you already follow both, don't stress. We've already taken note and written down your names and put them into the drawer already. So you don't have to do anything. You're already entered. Um, the competition entries close. So you must be following both of the Instagrams by the 5th of February with the winner drawn immediately afterwards that day. Anyway, let's dive in, enjoy the episode and, and welcome to How They Train for 2023. Joe Skipper, it's uh, the third time having you on the show, which definitely makes you officially one of the show's best friends. And it feels like a long time ago that, that you came fifth place at the Ironman World Championships in October last year. Uh, me and you talked in the lead up to that on the podcast, Joe. And the last thing you said, I don't know if you remember this, was if I were to finish fifth, that would be a failure to me. Yeah. And sure enough, as the gods would have it, you you finished fifth. So it was the fastest, you know, highest level Ironman World Championships I think we've ever seen. And you were like the best of the rest, so to speak, outside of the top four guys who all had completely insane days. And you've had a long time to reflect on it now. So do you feel like fifth place was a was a failure? Uh, yeah, in some ways. Yeah, I mean, my fitness was really good going into it. Um, and it was a bit disappointing to finish fifth. You know, I had my, my eyes set on the podium for death definite you know that was like a gap uh like minimum kind of thing that i wanted um but you know there's always going to be winners and losers isn't there in that race you know i think a lot of people go in there with high expectations and not, not everyone can, can achieve them uh, it's definitely fuel for the fire but you know to be honest you know i'm over the moon that it's changed and it's gone to knees like corona conditions are terrible for me you know i'm getting on 80 kilos and probably double the weight of patrick lang you know um he's probably barely 40 even when wet um that I, I die in that heat, mate. I flipping hate that heat. Everywhere I get off the plane in Kona, some people say they feel like they've come home. You know, it's relaxation and spiritual. I get off the plane in Kona and feel like, here we go, three weeks of depletion coming up. Um, you know, but it's it was it was a solid race in there, to be honest. But, you know, I'm, I, I, I failed to... I always struggle to execute the, the form that I think I, that I feel like I'm in. You know, like I did Wales beforehand. I was absolutely flying, you know. The weather's really good for me. The course is great for me. And then I get to Kona and, you know, struggle to run 2.45 out there, um, which uh, in training felt pretty comfortable. But I guess I, I don't really go much farther, further when I'm doing a hard run out there than like 11, 12 Ks in one go because you just sweat and you feel like you deplete yourself a lot. So in training up until 10 to 12 Ks, I felt like I was going well. Same on race day, 10 to 12 Ks, felt really good. Pace felt really easy, like similar to how I normally pace it in normal Ironman. Then I get to the point where I just get so hot and feel like I'm massively overheating and I just, the pace just comes right off and, uh, you know, it just uh, kind of stops any 
progression of like really running down people in front and same thing to be honest on the bike you know once I get like 100k's in I start feeling like I'm overheating and the power drops off and goes down massively and I mean I know a lot of people have to cope with the heat I mean that is one of the big challenges there but I feel like it takes a lot more out of me than it does some other people you know I really do feel like I suffer in that heat. It's interesting though isn't it because Watching your race and watching that race as, as a whole, I think that was one of the best races you've ever had in your career. Honestly, if not the best race you've ever had in your career. And, you know, hearing you talk about how the heat really affects you after the first, you know, 10, 12K in the marathon. But out of everyone on that start line, there was probably only two guys, maybe three guys on the course who, who were running stronger than you. Um, for the last 30k of the of the marathon and and you were clearly the guy moving through the back of the field or midway through the field to to up towards the podium like you were you were really the only guy who was moving that fast through the field so it didn't it didn't look like it affected you it actually looked like you're handling it really Not well the last 30k i had a good first 10k but my middle 20k was slow mate it was slow like if i looked at the data on training peaks i reckon i probably average 410 per k something like that. And actually people pulled away from me in that bit. I had a very good last 10K because I just thought, fuck it, you know, like I've got nothing to lose, like balls to the wall, you know, um, and I, you can just, you kind of see the finish line as the top of Blarney because then it's downhill from there. But so I managed to kind of get a second wind and then I did go really well the last 10K, you know, but it was that middle 20K, you know, and I did, I lost time to, to people who were in front of me. But then the last 10K, I, I mean, I had some Ks that were like 320 something. My fastest 5K of the race was in that point which is good in a way, but it's just the middle uh, 20K was bad. But then in terms of like what you say, one of the best races of my career, looking at the numbers, it certainly wasn't, you know, the power on the bike was okay. It wasn't great. Uh, and the run, what you know, it was my best run in Kona, but compared to the run what I did in Wales, it was nowhere near. Like the run what I did in Wales was definitely my um, best run. And to be honest, I'd say what the race what I did in Wales was probably one of my best races to date. I mean, if you take away the 20 minutes that I spent standing at the road, it would have been a very, very good race. And not all just but not just by looking at the numbers, but also how comfortable, you know, the numbers feel, feel, you know, you get an idea of how that power is feeling. Um, and that that was a really, really good day, to be fair, like that one. And also Arizona on the bike. That was my best power on the bike today as well. So that was a really solid one. Uh, but then the run in Arizona wasn't great, but I think. To be honest, at that point in the season, you everyone's running a bit on fumes and it's almost like last man standing when you do an Ironman in November. <laughs> it's funny though, isn't it? Because we're such a numbers-obsessed game, the, the pro triathlon game and the triathlon game in general, particularly in the long course world. But talking to Sam Laidlow after the race and Max Newman after the race and, and now yourself, you all say the same thing that you know, because the numbers don't look as good and maybe it didn't feel as good, that it it's not one of the best races you've had. But like you've all three of you have said that and you came second, fourth and fifth. Like Sam Laidlow, who came second and everyone would agree that's his best race by far. Like that was fucking insane what he did. He says the same. He goes, I just had like a pretty average day. Like that's just a day of numbers that I could do. You know, it's not my best day. It's not my worst day. I just had a solid day. Um, like there's nothing crazy with these numbers. They're not as good as what he's done uh, like at other places. He didn't feel as good as what he's, what he's felt at other places. And you're just reiterating that, which it does speak to the brutality of Kona. There's a bit of gamesmanship in that because I think he, he shared his data and it was like 315 watts average on the bike. And I don't think he's ever done an Ironman where he's averaged more than 315 watts. So 
He might say it was an average day for him, but I've not seen a race where he's averaged 315 watts on the bike in uh, in an Ironman before. So uh, I don't know if I would uh, take that as an average day from uh, from him so far from what we've seen. I mean, maybe in his training, it might seem average from what he thinks he's a, uh, able to uh, to do. But I think in terms of what he's actually done in races, I would certainly wouldn't say 315 watts for an Ironman is uh, an average day. And what did you push? What was your 90k, uh, 180k power for the for the bike at Kona? I think it was like in the end, 295, something like that. Um, and in Arizona, a month later, I did 315. That's average. Like in Arizona, I think my normalized power was 325 watts, which was the best I've done. And that was on a course where you know where you're uh, pedaling the whole way. You know that was that that felt really that felt really good. But the thing is, in Kona. I think I was on about 300 watts, and then the, the last bit, it went. The power went down quite a bit, quite a bit, you know, um, because it was a massive tailwind as well. So it was kind of like, you know, not not really a massive point in pushing it, but also the fact that I've, if I did try and push it, I felt like I was overheating a lot. You know, it's like being able to put that, like you say, being able to put that power out in the heat. I mean, I think everyone's power is going to be less than what they could do in another race. You know, for instance, like Arizona, I'm never going to. I'm, I'm never going to put out the power what I could in Arizona and Florida probably because the conditions are so much better for you. You know, like the hotter it is, the, you know, everyone heats up and overheats. It's just the bigger guys overheat more, I think, you know, and uh, when you put out a certain amount of power, I think on the bike, we're only 18 to 25% efficient. So, you know, you put out 300 watts, your body's maybe having to juice, uh, produce between 1200 and 1500 watts. So, you know, there's a lot of extra heat. And then if the air temperature is an extra 15 degrees warmer, that, how do you get rid of that heat? How do you cool yourself down? The only way is to drop the power down that you're putting out on the bike. And that race, Joe, uh, obviously uh, a lot of people have been talking about what the Norwegians did, what Gustav Eden did in particular. In my mind, I've never seen someone, I don't think, I've, I've said this a few times on the podcast, maybe outside of Alistair Brownlee's 2012 Olympic performance, I don't think I've ever seen a, a better single day or a, sing, a single race in, in, in triathlon history than, than what Gustav Eden did with his win. And Sam Laidlow, like we've already sort of just touched on, had an insane day and, and Christian Blumenfeld and Maxi Newman, the the guy that nobody knew until that day who finished fourth and they they all finished 740 to 744 and and then you were fifth 10 minutes back um so it was sort of like it was a funny race to watch because it really did feel like those five guys plus maybe a little bit of Magnus and then it was like another race it was it was almost the race race for fifth it was sort of like you won the race of everyone else while those guys were out there having their own race is that how it felt when you were there like can you walk me through the dynamics of the race from your perspective? Uh, yeah, I had a good start to the swim. Um, you know, got out pretty well, was actually in the, the uh, lead group for a while and then blew up a bit, you know, like the pace was just a bit too much for me and I, you know, I kind of went backwards and then ended up right towards the group that I ended up getting out of the water with, which was about four and a half minutes behind, something like that. Um, and then on the bike, felt pretty good. Um, Camworth must have had a good transition and hit it hard quite through the town and had a bit of a gap but I managed to bridge up with him um, Leon Trevelier was with us he was riding quite well as well like um, but unfortunately for him he got a one minute penalty for littering um, before Waikoloa but he was riding very good and uh, managed to catch back up on uh, the, the Harvey climb which I think he was riding absolutely exceptional to be honest um, and then yeah we just the group that I was with like me Cam Leon uh, a few others just basically rode through people 
But to be honest, you know, when we got to the turn in uh, RV, we knew the podium was over because you could just see, I know it's bitter and like people, you know, people might say you're, you're talking about it all the time, but you could see seven motorbikes in the lead group. Like I counted them and Patrick Langer even said to me, this is bullshit, you know, and to be honest, I knew then that the podium was gone. Um, because obviously, you know, the impact that that has, and there was motorbikes literally in the group amongst people There was on the outside. And, you know, that's like 30, 40 watts, maybe even more. You know, I've experienced, I did Switzerland and we had a load of motorbikes with us and uh, in Hamburg. And uh, basically you were just hanging in there because, you know, as soon as people got popped, that was it. They were never coming back and they were out the race. And it was literally just hanging into a pack of motorbikes. And unfortunately, when we all saw that, our heads kind of dropped and we were like, okay, they're, they're going to be gone. There's absolutely no chance of any of us catching them, you know. Um, so it was kind of just a battle amongst ourselves for the rest. And obviously, if anyone blew up up front, then we would pick, we would, uh, pick them off. But, you know, that's the problem with some of these flat courses. You know, you do them and then uh, the racers put a load of motorbikes in. If you haven't got the motorbikes, it's game over, unfortunately. So that was just uh, on the way back. Uh, Cam and Leon and uh, I think Keenly and one other person, uh, the name escapes me now, um, kind of pulled away a bit on the last bit of the uh, Queen K. Basically, Leon put a bit of a digging getting up to the Queen K again. Those guys pulled away. I probably could have gone with it on the climb, but it would have been a big effort and um, it would have, it might have made me completely overheat. Um, so I kind of eased up a bit and then it was a massive tailwind at the top and also riding in the groups can be very stressful in Kona because they're so strict on the penalties that you don't want to um, push it too much because you can get you can get a five minute penalty and then it could be race over so I was like well massive tailwind on the way back to town I can ride at my own pace you're not going to lose much if the speed's that high and I don't have to be stressed about you know putting my head up all the time making sure I'm the right distance behind I can take the aid stations a bit easier make sure i'm getting the right nutrition in thought i could lose a minute on this bit but i might gain that on the run if i've like hydrated and taken the right nutrition in and not had the stress of getting a penalty on the way back so kind of just rode my own pace um started the run felt pretty good first 10 to 12k knocking out 345s um maybe slightly under uh felt very comfortable and then got to the top of Polani, uh and it was like the wheels had come off uh, and i was like oh my god like this is horrendous now um kind of just got through the energy lab, got back up, got towards the top of the energy lab. And I could see I was getting chased by Clement Mignon. At this point, I was in eighth and I thought, bloody hell, he's going to catch me. Put me back to ninth place. I was like, I don't really want to be finishing any worse than this. And then I kind of got a time fit to the guys in front. I think it was Keenly, Magnus, seven, six, and Leon, who was in front. And I kind of just got a second wind and kind of thought, what have I got to lose? Just really pushed it hard and thought, it doesn't matter if you're you know, you're overheating, you're on the limit, you know, you just get to the top of Polani and if you're in a good position, you'll find the extra, you know, um, to really, like, to, to get home. And, uh, yeah, just dug in, managed to knock in, like, 320-something K, 330K, another 330, um, and took, like, three minutes out of the guys in front on the way back from the energy lab and managed to run my way up to fifth. And I was really pleased with that, you know. That was the most pleasing bit of the race because normally when you get to that point in the run, if people have been dropped or, you know, other people have pulled away from you, you don't normally get that kind of second wind where you're able to take people back. So that was the highlight of the race for me. Um, also getting in a bit of a battle with Keenly and his coach um, said to me, uh, said, I, I said, I think I, his coach said to me something like, uh, he's going to get you back. And I said, uh, I think I said, I think I said something like, oh, 
this is uh, this is all about who wants it more. And he's like, Sebi's going to get you or something. He's going to get come back at you. And I was like, all right, you know, we'll kind of see about that. Um, so that was quite that was quite fun because like there was like someone cheering me, uh, Tim giving me like cheering me on and giving me splits, and then Keenley's coach was there with Laura Phillip, and we were kind of both like leapfrogging each other, you know, giving the other giving the, each athlete like splits and like cheering them on to catch each other because it was pretty close and like you didn't know who was going to get it and that was quite that was quite that was quite that was like the highlight of the race for me that was quite fun yeah i loved watching that that battle between you and sebastian i agree i agree hey uh it just also a side note so that everyone knows um joe's sitting at a are you sitting like at an airport sort of uh buffet kind of set up right now because you can hear <laughs> yeah, so many like spoons clattering mate, which is like the quietest place I could find. And uh, I did have some headphones, which would have made it sound a bit better, but for some reason I just couldn't hear you, could they? They just wouldn't connect properly. So, um, yeah, apologies about, about, the, about the noise. This is literally the quietest place I could find. This is just as a quick side note, and, and I've got so many more questions to ask about, about training and, and, and the race. Um, but we, me and you both do podcasts. You have your own triathlon podcast, and, and we're on each other's podcast all the time. And we were we were just talking off air about how shit just always goes wrong. And this episode with you is just like, it's the typical podcast, isn't it? Like it's it's I'm recording this at midnight for me. Um, you're you're in the morning for you. The where you're at an airport and we had technical issues and now we can just hear people eating their breakfast at the airport on the on the end of it. It's just bloody podcasting. It's a nightmare. I mean, you could like I was saying to you, you can put someone on the moon, but you can't get. Uh, proper equipment so you can actually hear each other and record a podcast properly you know yeah. it's just crazy yeah i don't like it's just every week it's like i i would love a podcast where it was just two podcast hosts like me and you and we just talked about everything that had gone wrong hosting a podcast it's just like it's just it never goes smoothly talk about conspiracy theories got so many at the moment that I've, that, I, that really interest me yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. that's another thing. If you could like get permission to um, put together like a best of package of off air conversations, like conversations you had with guests before and after their podcast, and you could do that at the end of the year, that would be so good, and people would get to hear all about your wild conspiracy theories. Yeah, that would be a great idea, wouldn't it? You know, do something like that, something a bit different. You know, talk and uh, see what people thought. Like, I bet other people, are loads of people, have, everyone's got. Like, uh, a theory haven't they you know on whether or not they believe certain conspiracy theories you know and like the, the, everyone's got an opinion on it haven't they you know there's loads yep. of different things people uh yep. I believe or don't believe in and you you sort of already brought it up joe um and it's one of the the main reasons i want to get you on to talk about it it's the the changing of the ironman world championships from from kona to nice and obviously the men's race being like pretty much a month apart from the women's race and You've just done a bit of a. You've been a bit of a golden boy of the the Nice press tour from for Ironman this this week. Can you tell me your thoughts about it? Whether you think it's a good thing or a bad thing for the sport, and um, yeah, just your thoughts on it. Uh, well, my personal thoughts on it, are, I think it's going to be a great thing because for me, it's obviously going to be easy to get to. You know, Nice is only a two-hour flight away, so that's. No problem. Um, you can do an altitude training block in Pont Remo, um, which is about four hour drive, four and a half hour drive. So you could potentially come from altitude straight there. The climate is going to be pretty good in September. You know, it's going to be about 25 degrees, I would say, at the heat of the day. So not really any issues running in that temperature. And obviously nowhere near the humidity, what you get in um, 
in Kona. Um, so that's really going to suit me. Hard bike. The bike's definitely going to be legit. Like I can guarantee you there's not going to be any problems with motorbikes on this course. Like because if you're not go if you're not going up, you're going down, and the, the uh, roads are so technical that if you did have motorbikes with you, they would slow you down. They'd be a hindrance. So I think it's a really fair course, and I think that that's what you want to see. You know, you want to see a tough course, but you want to see a fair course to run. It's pretty flat and fast, to be honest. Like it's not the most exciting. It's probably quite nice because the shots what they could probably get on TV. To be honest, like they got some nice drone shots because you're running next to the med. But in terms of hills or anything like that you know it's not there's no, no hills or no undulations which is probably a bit of a shame it would be nice if they could have done that but um the, the swim that's going to be pretty fast i think you know that could potentially be a wetsuit swim i think it's 50 50 to be honest but if it's a wetsuit swim the gaps are going to be pretty small getting out of the water i reckon like i'd probably be out within two minutes two and a half minutes of the lead swimmers to be honest you know um think it's going to make it very interesting and then the climb what you got the hardest one the cold of the group um that is probably a 50 minute climb and it's not 50 minutes like when they say harvey's climbing it's 50 minutes at six percent where you go in about 15 k's an hour up that seven percent gradient you know it's a proper mountain climb uh which is just going to split the race up you know straight away once people hit that i actually think to be honest one of the favorites for the race it's probably going to be Leon Chevalier, but I think he's looking great for that race. You know, he's proved himself over hilly, tough, hard bike courses, and um, that course suits him down to the ground. It's pretty aero as well, so on the bits that are flat, that's going to suit him, and he's getting faster on the run all the time. So I think he's looking pretty deadly, to be honest. Um, whether or not, with regards to what you said about whether or not it's good for the sport, probably not the best thing, to be honest, in terms of co everyone loves Kona. I mean, like, Kona has the mystique, but it all depends on whether or not it would be good for this sport as to whether how much hype they can bring around the Nice race. And over the next few years, do people want to go to Nice as much as what they want to go to, to Kona, Hawaii? I mean, from people that I've spoken to, a lot of the people that have already been to Kona aren't bothered about going back there. They've done it, they've ticked the box. It's overpriced, it's hard to get to, and it, the locals aren't the friendliest, to be honest. So they're not that bothered. The people that haven't been to Kona still want to go there because I think they see it as the pinnacle of the sport and it has some magic and it's quite elusive. Um, so I think a lot of it depends on what people, what Ironman can get people's perceptions of the, of Nice to uh, to be in the future. I think it's good that they rotate. I mean, it's not like Kona's gone, is it? Kona's every other year. If you want to race Kona, you know, you can melt in Kona for three weeks, you know, and race there and uh, get ripped off by everyone. But if you want to race uh, Nice, easy to get to, much more affordable. You can bring your family and friends out, which you might not be able to if you go into Kona unless, uh, you know, they're happy to spend six, seven grand flying out there to watch you. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say one thing as well is if people are racing the course, like, and they're not very tech good in technical descents, they're going to be totally screwed. You know, it's not a course that you can prepare for by riding on Swift. You know, this is a proper mountain course, proper going to test your bike handling skills. If you don't ride outside, you, you're going to be shown up on this course. I'm with you. I actually don't hate the move away from Kona. I I really like the idea of a, a way harder bike course. I think I think it's just it's just the people and change thing, isn't it? We all we all hate change to a degree. Even if we are people who don't mind change, we still probably don't love change, and and it can be a little bit tricky. And um, but. I think if we could nail a course, like if we could get 
coverage of a course that became as exciting as a mountaintop finish at, at the Tour de France where you're seeing a lot of people climbing up these epic climbs and there's a bit more drama, you know, a lot more blow-ups. There's not huge blow-ups in Ironman at the moment. That's a, it's a bit of a problem to me is that Ironman is just this long, slow, drawn-out time trial. It's not the most appealing thing to watch, but yeah, if you have mountains and uphills and downhills, you're going to have some crashes, you're going to have some really big attacks up climbs and you're going to have like pack splinter and it, it won't just be this like, like the Ironman World Championships this year was an awesome race, but it was sort of like pretty slow. It was really obvious who was going to win like 90k into the bike, even a little bit more. And and it sort of just played out like in slow motion almost. And that's what all Ironman seem to do. They play out in slow motion. Whereas I think a hillier course, like a mountainous course or with a swim where everyone's a little bit more compact has the ability to be way more explosive and for, for anything to happen. And, and you've probably never going to, you, you've never got the race won and, uh, and there'll be way bigger gaps everywhere. I actually don't mind it. Right. And, and if, and if we can cover it well, it, it might be good. The thing I'm really hating Joe is why the fuck is the women's race and the men's race a month apart at different locations? If you're going to do it, oh, yeah. just put them both at Nice on the same day or the same weekend. Put the age groupers on a Thursday, have the men and women both on a Saturday or, you know, have the men on the Thursday, the women on a Saturday or vice versa, but have them in the same fucking spot. That, that just is crazy that Iron Man think that's a good idea. Yeah, I did speak to them about that because I said to them, I, I actually said to them when I was out there, in this, I said, look, it's great to be racist here in this course, to be honest, on my point. Um, but why are the women on a different day? I said, like, you know, in a different location. I said, that's a terrible move. Like, what, like why have you done that? Um, and they said they couldn't get two days in Nice. Like, they just couldn't close the door, the the, uh, the road for two days and get the uh, uh, police support. Apparently, because of the terrorist attack a few years ago, you need to have shitloads of police and they just couldn't get the support from all the police and met the emergency services what you need and close the roads to do it then nice isn't the spot yeah maybe yeah isn't it just that simple yeah. that it's not nice like surely there's a hundred different places in europe like they shut down an entire country sometimes two or three countries for a month through the tour de france as if they can't find somewhere to shut down that has awesome roads and mountains in europe like in france or spain or italy oh, mate, as there's, if- loads. There's, there's loads of places you could do it um, I'll tell you what would be a good place if you did it in Ironman Wales that would be absolutely fantastic the locals absolutely love it there and that is a very very honest course the runs hard the bikes hard the swims wavy that would be the ultimate course and the support is the best I've ever seen at an Ironman distance race like they're literally lined every part of that run course you run through this town it's electric mate like add that onto your bucket list get out there up and down all day, nothing massive, but just constant hills. You know, that is one where you get blow-ups all the time. And of course, blow-ups on the bike, blow-ups on the run. The weather can change four seasons in a day. That's, for me, that is the ultimate race. Like, I, I did that this year, and I knew I shouldn't have done it probably before Kona. But, you know, when you do a race, and you just love doing that race so much, and you think, it's probably not a good idea if I do it, but I just really, really fucking love this race. Like, the atmosphere, the course, everything, you know. I just, you just can't help yourself once you've done it, but to go back there and race it again. You know, everything about that place is great. Like the beach is nice, the cafes, the restaurants, the course, you know, you need to add that on, Jack. I'd love to see you take on <laughs> take on the Welsh roads, you know, slay the dragon, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> so, Joe, if, if Iron Man have said to you that, 
look, we don't love that either. We we wanted it at the same location um, on the same, like on two different days or or whatever it is. Or if like, oh, this is another thing. The, the, they could have had that race on the same day. They could have had the men and women on the same day. They've done that before. They could do it again. Let's be real about what the problem is here. Iron Man and money with this is everything. They they want the races on different days. They want as many age groupers there as they can get to make as much money as they can, which you can't begrudge them for. Like it, it they're a business, they've got to make money. I understand that. But why why do they like why are their decisions so transparently about money? but they refuse to talk about that at all. Like they, they do all these, these things where they're like, fair, fair enough, the, the, the locals at Kona might not be the greatest. They might not love the race. They might not like all the road closures and the sudden influx of thousands and thousands of people. I get that. But to put it all on that seems crazy when, just be honest, if, you, if that's the issue, just massively reduce the age group numbers and make it a real pro spectacle make it all about the pros that wouldn't the locals wouldn't care as much about that and and if the and if the two you can't get the two-day permit in nice okay let's do the let's do the age group race um with way less numbers and let's let's get the men and women racing on the same day or like or let's go somewhere else clearly the reason why nice is money clearly the reason why the two days like they're so tied to this two day thing to the point where they'll have the men's and women's races a month apart on different sides of the globe that's only a money decision like we can all agree with that can't we oh yeah it's totally a money decision absolutely i mean like if they can get an extra three thousand people to race you know 1500 quid a time after the uh, active fee that's uh what's that like four and a half million is that is that what it works out a lot of money something something like that you know um so yeah it's an extra it could potentially be an extra four and a half million dollars also maybe one of the reasons they split the locations is because they can say we've got this amount of people coming to the town uh in one place this amount of people coming to another place and they can get two maybe fees from local communities to hold the race in different you know in a destination because almost like another Ironman event, isn't it? You know, you bring into the race, whereas maybe you, you can't quite get double the amount of money from a community if you say, we're going to do the race over two days, but you split it, go to two different locations, maybe get two, two almost two appearance fees, if you know what I mean, from the communities to hold it. Because obviously, they, I guess they say to the councils, they're bringing X amount of money into the local economy, you know? Um, so if you give us this amount of money, we'll hold our race there. And uh, Obviously, we've been a world champ. They can give that area a lot of exposure, you know, a lot of publicity for certain places. And maybe they think that that's worth it. So that's obviously probably why it's not just the money from um, the people participating, but why they can't just say that, you know, look, guys, that it's a lot of money for us. We can't afford to lose it. And people would probably be like, all right, fair enough. You know, we, I don't like it, but at least you're honest, you know. A hundred percent. Because what they're doing right now just feels super deceptive and everyone can see through it. And this is what they don't understand. They they think they're... This is how it's come across to me. And I'm just a fan of the sport. So if I'm feeling that this is how it is, I assume that we're all feeling that this is how it is. It just seems so transparent that they are doing this for money, but blaming all these other reasons and like there's all these convoluted stories about the whys and, you know, a bit of a bit of deception about it. Um, and they're sort of playing their audience as dumb, which I think is a really bad decision. I think any, any business that treats their, their customers or their audience as not as smart as them, they're, 
they're always going to cop real backlash and people see through it because people aren't dumb. People can see your motives for things and, and why you're do, doing certain things versus not doing other things. And there's not really like uh, me and you, Joe, we're, we're sort of like, yeah, we, we don't mind a location change. That's, that's whatever, especially if the course is going to be awesome. Like if you can get a course that is like challenging and, and has like awesome scenery and is a, is a great spectacle that's not a bad thing. We can get on board that, but, but all the other crap, like no one, no one supports how they're going about it. And, and, and the lack of transparency is a a real, a real issue. Um, but anyway, me and you, me and you don't have enough time to to talk about it. Uh, but we could probably go on for, for an hour. What I, what else I want to know, Joe is, is what's been going on in your life since, since Kona? Have you got any funny stories of how's your training been going? Have you, have you been training much? What are you, are you targeting anything at the moment? Um, yeah, what's what's been going on in, in Joe Skipper's world? Oh, mate, a lot's been going on. So, first of all, like, after the, the end of the season, so after Arizona, had a couple of weeks off, went to the Football World Cup in, in Doha, Qatar, um, watched that, and uh, that was awesome. Managed to watch three matches, so Brazil against Croatia, England versus France, and then Argentina versus Croatia, and it was amazing to see that. And actually, I managed to get the tickets. It's quite a funny story how I managed to get them, because... I was in Arizona and I thought about it. I was like, oh, I, think I wonder if I can get a ticket for this. And I thought, well, I wonder if the Prince of Bahrain would have any contacts, you know, also being in the Bahrain team. I thought, well, maybe I'll slip into his DMs and uh, see what comes of it. So uh, sent him a DM in it on Insta. So oh, I don't suppose you can uh, get some tickets for um, for the World Cup, should you? Uh, and he was like, yeah, I'll get my people on it. I said, oh, cheers, mate. You know, thanks. Awesome. Appreciate that. And uh, yeah, he got his people on it and managed to get us tickets for the World Cup. First two matches, uh, like I went out there with my, my wife's dad and uh, he's a massive football fan. So he was like absolutely loving it. First two matches, we managed to get VIP, which was incredible. You know, like really nice food, drinks and everything. Thought we were living the high life, you know. And then the third race, we were back to reality where we were in the normal seats and stuff. But it was amazing to watch the matches and like, I don't know if I'll get the opportunity to see it again because normally it's in the middle of the season. Obviously, you're training, competing and everything. You don't really get the opportunity to do that, especially if they're over destinations that you know that you might have to fly from one stadium to the next. So I'm really pleased I managed to hit the box and do that. And it was something a bit different as well. I mean, I'm not a massive football fan myself, but I thought watching the World Cups, like, doesn't, you know, it's every four years anyway, isn't it? Um, so that was great. And then obviously got some news, uh, like, my wife's pregnant as well, so at the end of March, we're due to have our first child, which is uh, massive news, and that is definitely going to change things up a bit. It's going uh, to spice up your life, isn't it? You know, you're not 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 sure what that's going to be like. I'm, I'm actually at the airport now, heading to Dubai, as you know, and uh, on a bit of a training camp. I've got to be back on the 20th. Like Laura has made me come back because on the 21st we've got this thing called an NCT course which is basically a training camp for potential people that are going to have kids and become a dad or a mum and have absolutely fucking no idea what they're going to be doing. Um, <laughs> and she wouldn't let me miss it. She was like, you have to be back for this. I was like, can we not just book another one? She's like, no, you've already, because I'd already put one off. You know, I was meant to be doing one in December, but couldn't do it because we clashed in the World Cup. She's like, you're not missing this. And I'm, my best, the guy that was my best man for my wedding is actually... Uh, He's actually, but coincidentally, drew his first child six weeks before us. And I'm like, well, Lee hasn't got to do the course. Like, they're not bothered about it. She's like, Lee has an idea of what to do with a baby. You have none. <laughs> 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 so, 
So I've, so I've got to come back on the 20th for that on the 21st. Um, but also, in terms of training and race-wise, I'm actually going to target the PTO race, Jack, which is a bit different, uh, as you know, from what I normally do. Because obviously most of my success in the past has been at the Ironman distance, you know, and uh, targeting longer races. But I really want to give the 100K races a go. Like, they get really good prize money for them. Uh, the top guys are there. And that's one thing what I feel like I've missed out on a bit this year, you know. The guys that race ITU, they race the top guys in the world week in, week out. The guys that have been racing the PTO races, they race the top guys when they are, obviously, not week in, week out. But as the series grows, you're going to be racing the top guys a lot more. Whereas you do the Ironman race and it's hit and miss. You might get one or two people that are really good, you know, or potentially up for the win. But then there's always like a lack. And some people don't perform, obviously, on race day. So it generally comes down to just two or three people in an Ironman, at most, competing for the win. Unless you're obviously at a championship race, you know, it can be a bit more. But I want to give the PTO race a go. I heard there's going to be four or five races this year, and I really want to get success at them. And obviously racing some of the people this year who have had success at them over the Ironman distance, I kind of feel like, well, I should be able to do well at it because you can't race fast over an Ironman if you're not fast over a half Ironman. So there might be a bit of specifics. But when I look at my training, some of the times I'm hitting, I'm like, well, I should be better at the set, the 100K distance, I would have thought. And what I do at the Ironman, you know, my, some of my sessions that I do that seem the best to me seem when I'm racing at around that intensity, doing longer, you know, some fairly long reps at the speeds that you would be racing for the 100k distance. So I really want to give that a crack, you know, taper for the races like you would for an Ironman. Not really do that many Ironmans, probably the world champs, maybe one up and one afterwards. 50 50 on whether or not I'd do one in the middle of the year because uh, I really want to give the PTO races a good crack and, um, you know, see if I can get a result in them and obviously taper for them. And I think if you do too many races in there and you taper for them, you know, if you throw some Ironman races in, they're either going to become B races and you're not going to give them the respect they deserve or you're going to just be tapering too much and not perform well at them. So I'd like to... And also, I think if you do them, they're going to, it's going to help your Ironman game, you know. It's going to take you to the next level, you know. You're racing the best people week, like, five times potentially over the course of the year where you're going to be pushed. Every position counts in them. The money's a lot better. You know, I just think it's going to be fun. It's going to take you to the next level. Everyone says, says good things about them. The other pros that I've had that have raced them. And, you know, I've been watching them. I watch every time they're on. And then when you hear the people's stories that are at them, you kind of feel like you're missing out on it, you know. And I feel like I'm missing out on a big part of the sport by not being there. And that's I want to be part of it, you know, and I want to try and perform at the biggest races. Sam Renouf, who's the, the CEO of um, the PTO, he's coming on the podcast in early Feb, Joe, and he's going to talk about the, the races. Obviously, you're probably aware, as, uh, as I am, about the, the different changes in the races this year that the PTO are going to do and where the race is going to be and, and all of that stuff, and they're sort of just finalising them now. And so, yeah, I'm going to go deep on that. And I like it because even though the PTO, they don't have it nailed, I don't think, but given what's going on with Ironman at the moment, I think it's awesome if the pros support the PTO races we just need the PTO. Do you remember our chat before the world champs where we're just like, we just need the PTO to start their own world championships. And yeah. Um, yeah, totally. I think, and, awesome. uh, I think now they've got four or five races in the series. It's going to be, a, that's a game changer really, isn't it? Because that is a season really, isn't it? You know, if you've got five massive big paying races, that's, that's, that's pretty much a season done. You know, you can't really taper too many more times than that. If you want to go to each one full on and like with them races, the aim is to take, each one of them, you know, 100%. That's where the money is. That's what's getting the exposure. And I think they're just going to keep getting bigger and bigger. And, um, yeah, I think you just, it, I mean, it could be good for some of the guys that are up and coming because it means that they can also do some of the Ironman races. They're not going to have the strength and depth that they might have 
and it means they can get some money and get their foot in the door. Hopefully, if they get a bit more money, them guys, they can uh, put a bit more money into themselves, you know, into their equipment, their training, uh, and, you know, their situation, maybe training camps and everything like that. And that could help bring the level up even more because if more athletes have got money, then they're more, uh, everything's more accessible. Training camps are more accessible, better coaching, better testing, you know, facilities. So I think it's going to be a massive thing for the sport. And I think the level's just going to keep going up and up and up. And uh, obviously, if it keeps going higher and higher and TV coverage gets better and better, then... Uh, there might be even more high money races. And uh, yeah, who knows what the sport could be like in four or five years' time. Well, look at Ashley Gentle this year. She didn't race much, but she she won two PTO races and, you know, moved herself up to being one of the, the richest triathletes of 2022. So you can definitely do it. And well, to touch on- Jack, just on, just on Ashley Gentle's thing as well, now you've mentioned it, I, sorry about him, but um, I, I would forget to say it otherwise, but the, the interesting thing with her is, Best middle distance racer on the planet this year, without doubt. You know, she won the big PTO races. Didn't even bother racing 7.3 Worlds. You know, didn't see that it was worthwhile, really, after the big season. You know, she thought she obviously planned her break. She was going to get married and stuff, but she could have potentially done it. But I think it's a massive thing that potentially the biggest, the best seven, uh, middle distance racer doesn't even race 70.3 Worlds. You know, that's it would have you wouldn't have thought that in previous years, but it just shows how much she thinks of as the PTO, how big them races are, and that the 70.3 Worlds doesn't really compare. I mean, I think, don't you only get $40,000 if you win a, a 70.3 Worlds? I mean, for me, an English guy, if I say if I won it and I got $40,000 at 70.3 Worlds, automatically I lose 30%, which gets taxed off me before I even get the money, which I, you know, can't I can't claim other stuff off it. Whereas like the PTO races, what they say is almost like the money after tax. So potentially, you might only get $28,000 to win in what, 70.3 Worlds. You know, you win, uh, obviously, you get sponsor bonuses and everything like that on top. But, you know, compare that to $100,000 to win the PTO race. Plus, you're still going to get sponsor bonuses and everything off it. It's a massive difference, you know. Yeah, if only Ironman would put some of that money that they're, they're, st- like they're saving by, by completely destroying the fabric of the World Championships and having the men's and women's race a, a month apart in different locations back into to paying a little bit more than that. Because um, we're time poor, Joe, I want to touch on what you said about you racing the PTO races though and how that distance suits you, whereas um, your results, maybe people wouldn't think that. People oh, – like, I probably look at you as an Ironman specialist. Like, I don't think of you as someone who could go and be competitive and come fifth at the the Ironman 70.3 World Champs, but I think of you as someone who could podium at the Ironman World Championships. And the reason why I think that is is obvious, Joe, and it's, it's the same thing as a few people at the moment, it's the swim. Now, you don't have exactly the same issues as, as some other big names, but but the swim is where you separate yourself. Like... If if the if the PTO races or the Ironman World Championships were a bike and running race, you would be very very close to the best in the world. And the only reason you're not sort of first, second, third, and and fifth at the Ironman World Championships is is because of the swim. So, how are you going to tackle that? Is it a training thing for you this year? Are you going to keep doing sort of exactly what you have been doing and and just hope it gets better or? you know, uh, are people like yourself and, and Sam Long and, and Lionel Sanders, are you guys going to have to really change the way you're training with your swimming and your uh, your approach to your swimming to, to compete at, at the Ironman World Championships or the Good PTO? Good question. To be honest, I don't really feel like I have to change much for my swim. I mean, like in March this year, just before I got COVID, I was swimming the best times I ever have. Um, 
like four seconds, a hundred quicker uh, consistently through my sets than what I was before the Ironman World Championships. Um, but after getting COVID and then getting back into training this year, it never got back to the level it did. You know, I think because there was a few races, inconsistency with the training. But the positive was I knew what worked over this winter to get me in that shape in March, you know. So by starting my season a bit later, I can hopefully get, and obviously if I don't get ill, I can hopefully be in that kind of swim form in May, maybe even better. And I think that's very competitive, that swim form. Um, I did a bit more swimming. Uh, or put a bit more emphasis on the swim sessions after Kona and then managed to make the front pack in um, in Arizona. And uh, Andy Horsfall-Turner was in the race and he's ranked the number one swim swimmer on the PTO rankings. And I was three and a half minutes behind him, you know, out, out the swim, which is, that's as good, you know, that's against the person who was ranked the best swimmer and had managed to drop Ben Canoe on the swim in that race. So... If, if I can do a bit more of a swim emphasis like I did after Kona and get in that shape in four weeks and that was still three seconds slower per hundred than what I was in in March, then I'm pretty sure if I can get into that swim form, then I'll I'll be right up there, you know, like I was hitting some pretty decent times in uh, sessions and I've seen other guys that are making the front pack and I think that they're similar times to what they were doing. So I just need to, you know, knuckle down, get the consistency and do the sessions that I finally know that work, which in the past was the main struggle was because didn't really know what sessions worked. I think I was doing some sessions too hard and not in the right training zones. And I really feel like I've got that sus now, you know, that I know what works for me and I just need to basically do it and be consistent, which is like what you hear everyone say about, you know, once you know what works for you, you've just got to be consistent and put the work in. So that's a, that's a massive thing for me is just being able to do that. And so what are these sessions? What, what, what is it that you found out has worked for you? Uh, nothing like uh, oh, 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 like secretive or anything. Just basically, for instance, I do a threshold session each week. Or call it threshold. It's probably more VO2. Might be anything up to 200 meter reps and 50 meter reps. Uh, fairly shortish recovery. Like if I'm doing hundreds, uh, they might be up 130 at the moment. When I'm like when I was like fitter, it'd be up 125. But looking to hit at the moment like one set, you know, 117s, 115s. When I was at my best, I was hitting like 111s off. 111, 112 to 125. Um, but it's that kind of effort. It's pretty hard, solid effort. You know, for instance, if I was doing hundreds, I might do 20 of them, building it up to 30 at that kind of pace. Um, and then another session would be like more of an endurance session or tempo session, which would be swimming five seconds, 100, but for longer reps. Minimum I'd normally do for that would be 200s up to like 600s um, or even 800s. And that's five seconds, 100 slower than uh, what I would do for that harder, shorter session. And then the other sessions are kind of like steady swimming, not too much messing around. I find like in some of the swim sets that you do with people, there's a lot of messing around where you stop, start, you know, doing loads OTT amount of drills. Um, whereas I'll do like some drills in a part of my warm up before a session, but I don't do an overly over the top amount, which I think some people do. Uh, and that feels like it's really helped. And then just keeping it going in, this, in the sessions in between. So like, like you would for a steady run, you know, you might go out the door and run 45, 60 minutes, keeping it steady, not too much time to stay at the wall, like uh, stopped and just keeping the heart rate at a reasonable amount. So it's, it's nothing like that you think would be super scientific, you know, like super different than what anyone else is doing. But it's just doing that and doing it consistently. Whereas in the past, I think I would try and do the session where I was doing like the hundreds too quick or the longer reps too quick and then i'd go to the pool i might be a bit demotivated because sometimes because i'd have these targets in my head that i did in another session like that but i was feeling really good in that session i was pushing it too hard i wasn't doing it in the right zone 
that I should have been doing. So then when I was doing going to the pool another time when I was two to four seconds, say a hundred slower or even five seconds, a hundred slower, I was a bit demotivated by that, but I shouldn't have been. I was just trying to hit times that weren't, that I wasn't in the fitness to hit, you know, I wasn't at that level. So I wasn't consistent with my swimming. I actually slowed it down, did the times that I should be hitting, that was like the right intensity for me. And the gains were like coming every week. And it was, it was really encouraging to see that motivated me more and showed me that what I was doing was work. And it kind of really like improved my swimming because I was more motivated. I was consistent. I was hitting the right times and the, the, uh, the times came down quite a lot in training from doing that. And then tell me about this training camp that you're going on now. Where is it and, and what are you going to be doing? Who are you training with? Because obviously we know that you've had some, some pretty epic training camps in the past with um, some big names. So this one is basically just I'm heading out here with Laura. She's coming out in about five days' time. But it's just the last chance for her as well to get some sun before um, we obviously have, have a like, first child. So it's a good chance to get away. I mean, I know some people in Dubai from last time when I was there. So I'll be doing some training with them. So Lottie and Felipe, they're two pros um, that are based out there. So hopefully I'll be doing some swimming with them. Uh, I've got a friend called Sean McFadden, who's just a normal guy. Um, you know, if anyone follows me on social media, they'll probably see that I train a lot with normal people, not really with pros. Like my two main training partners at the moment are two pensioners from back home. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'll be doing some training with Sean. And then there's another guy, Ryan Christian, who's a pro as well. He's out there. I'll be doing some cycling and running, maybe some swimming with him as well. So not like not anything like properly organized where, you know, I've messaged like four or five people for, say, like we've done the past and we've all flown out together. But basically getting some decent training in, making the most of the sun and spending a bit of time with Laura as well before, um, yeah, we have uh, the child and maybe life gets turned upside down a bit for a while. <laughs> Ryan Christian's a, a, an Australian fella. He's actually, I I was supposed to go for a run with him one day with a mutual friend of ours in Ballarat, which is a, a small country town in Australia. Uh, and I couldn't because I, ended, I I woke up sick and and now you're doing a training camp in the Middle East with him. That's a weird little connection we have there. Yeah, I've cycled with him before and met him a few times. He's uh, yeah, he's a nice guy, isn't he? He's pretty strong on the bike. He's quite light, isn't he? Yeah, and then um, there's obviously always a, a few funny things with you, with you, Joe, and like we always have some really funny conversations about some just weird, weird shit that's going on in your life, like um, conversation about your dogs being elite athletes last time when they're clearly just like little fluffy couch dogs, and and yeah, you've you've just mentioned them, but the 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 pensioners or the old guys that you train with, like you're training with some if anyone follows your Instagram the same way I do, like you're training with some 80 year olds, like they're 80 year old blokes who, who are your main training partners and you've just come fifth place in the world at the Ironman world championships. And you, you know, you're not training with Christian Blumenfeld and Gustave and you're training with like two 80 year olds from, from your hometown. Yeah, I know. Uh, it's, uh, it's pretty funny really, but uh, they're basically the only people I can get to train with me, Jack. Like I literally can't <laughs> get anyone else to consistently come. So, that's why I train with them, you know, they're, they're super, super keen, you know, and uh, it started because originally I got, I was, I messaged uh, Techno, so he's the original guy, and um, I said to him, like, um, would you be able to help me with training? I knew, he knew me before because he'd come to some run sessions that I was, like, when I was kind of, like, setting the session and people used to come, so we kind of knew each other, and I said to him, like, I knew he had retired, um, and I said, would you fancy, like, pacing me on the bike for my sessions, um, and stuff like that you know helping me with like the pacing and um 
with drinks as well. And obviously, we put a speaker on his bike, listen to some tunes. Absolutely awesome. And he was like, yeah. <laughs> so he comes to every run session, rain or shine. I think I do run one a week, basically, where he's not there. So Tuesday, he'll be there for the tempo session we do. Thursday for the long run, he'll be with me. Wednesday, I'll normally run by myself. Um, it's only like a shortish one. Thursday, he'll, yeah, sorry, like I said, Thursday, he'll come with me for the long run. Then Saturday, speed session on the track. He'll like set the pace for the reps on the track. He's even actually had a gig pacing Mo Farah when we were in Pompromeau on the track. He got called up. That was his biggest gig yet, pacing Mo Farah for an 8K tempo. <laughs> um, and then on a Sunday for a run off the bike, um, he'll be at mine and he'll pace me for that as well. So it's um, all the time. And then because um, he was doing that quite a bit, I said to him last year, you should come You should come and do some swimming at David Lloyd. He said he wanted to get into doing a bit of swimming. So he comes to the swim pool and we do the sessions. And then just to make it a bit more interesting, I kind of just handicap it. And it's quite good motivation for me and quite good motivation for him, really. So if I'm doing 400 meter repeats, he's doing 250s, you know. Uh, if I'm doing 200s, he does 125s, um, you know, and we can break it down like that. And Sometimes when we do the sessions, it's quite good. So the other day we did a session against both of them and um, they, I was doing 150s, they were doing 100s. We're both going off the same turnaround time and we basically made it a bit like a race, you know, where each one I had to try and beat them and they had to try and beat me, you know, and um, it works out really well like that, you know, and uh, it, it's great motivation because I know they're, they're pretty much always going to be there, you know, they're always up for it. And then the other guys, Phil, he's... 10 years older than techno he's 67 i think um <laughs> and he's just an absolute weapon like i i when i'm doing the intervals on my bike at the moment i got my gravel bike um and he'd be on his road bike his racing road bike and um he can stay with me you know when i'm doing like fresh old efforts he struggles if we're doing vo2 max up a hill but obviously it's harder isn't it like that but if we're on the flattish roads and i'm doing tempos or thresholds on the gravel bike he's absolutely fine you know and he'll even join me for like 120k rides like i did one ride before arizona i think it was about 120k i was on my tt bike he was on the road bike the other guy who was out with us who's mid 30s got dropped filled in you know and then the last but last 25k i did a bit of an effort on the way back home it was on some undulations 310 watts i'm on the tt bike and phil stayed with me the whole way you know behind he's he's pretty strong on the bike you know i've been out with some uh decent age group has never been dropped when I've been on the TT bike riding like that, you know, and this guy's, uh, you know, nearly coming up to 70 years old. And then for the run sessions, he started doing the run sessions with me um, as well on like a Tuesday and stuff. And we kind of just handicap it. A lot of our tempos are done by time. So we run down this old railway line and it's, for instance, we started off at the start of winter training by doing two 15 minute efforts. Um, so it doesn't really matter what pace you are, you know, you, even like say if Mo Farah came to the session or Kipchoge, you know, obviously they're going to be a lot quicker, but you do 15 minutes out and 15 minutes back and uh, you try and get back a little bit quicker than what you did on the way out. And it works out quite well because if I've gone a little bit quicker and he's gone a little bit quicker, we still should finish around the same time. But it normally comes down to the last 200 meters as to who will finish first. But you're not really trying to like smash it to catch the other person, but it's still quite nice when you see you catching them and, the fact that you can do sessions like that together, you know, um, it's, it's awesome, really. It's um, like he's obviously super fit um, for a 67-year-old and like clearly should go over to Nice as well and win the 65 to 70 age group and set a record that will never yeah, get broken. But He's never done an Ironman yet, but I want to get him one and see if he can get a sub-10 Ironman. I mean, I don't know what the record is for 65 to 70, but that's got to be pretty decent, isn't it? If you can do a sub-10 Ironman at like 67 years old. 
surely that's never been done. I'm going to look into that. I'll, I'll, I'll let you know. Um, it is quite funny though, Joe, like picturing, cause this is such a big thing in triathlon at the moment that the Norwegians have done. It's like the Norwegian method and they train together, like Christian and Gustav train in this little squad and they're all like so technical and they spend heaps of time in a lab and, you know, all of their coach is this crazy scientist who is always testing them and it's like state of the art. And then you've got you who is the fifth best Ironman athlete in the world training out there in the rain in the UK with a couple of 70-year-olds or a 60-year-old and a 70-year-old. It's like the the black and white like contrasting uh, but the nature thing is, of that Jack, is so funny. If you're training scientifically, you're probably training at your right training zones, aren't you? 100%. So in actual fact, it shouldn't matter who you're training with because if you're, letting your, if you're training with someone better than you but you're supposedly a scientific trainer and you try and keep up with someone because they're better than you, you ain't training scientifically. You're letting your ego uh, force what you do, you know. So in actual fact, sometimes training with people that are supposedly better than you and supposed to push you, yeah, it can be great. But it can also mean that your ego become, become you know, you come on track for your ego and you end up going a lot harder than what you, you should do. Um, and then going back to your other point about the Norwegian method, is there a big Norwegian method? Because there's two Norwegians that are racing well. But where are the others that are racing at the top end on the, uh, you know, on, at the top world level, you know, and actually winning races on a regular basis? I mean, I remember the time when there was the Brownleys that were smashing it. But was there a Brownlee method or was it just two very talented guys from Yorkshire that were smashing it at Olympic distance? You know, is there a Norwegian method? It works well for two of them. But where are the others if they're all doing the Norwegian method? I don't see them, you know. I mean, yeah. do, do you? No, I don't see them. Like, you know, is there a Norwegian method? Is there a Joe Filiol method? Because those guys have been in that squad have been more dominant at short distance racing than I think any other squad in the world. Um, and then the other curveball, what I'd like to throw to you is, if Gustav wants to win, I've been thinking about this, the Olympics, does he actually need to leave the Norwegian method? Because his biggest potential rival could be his main training partner, Christian Blumenfeld. And Christian won the last Olympics. And obviously they trained together. And I think it's clear to see that Christian is naturally a bit better at the Olympic distance than Gustav, isn't he? Come to the PTO races, I'd say it's probably the other way around. Gustav's a bit better. But coming to the Olympic distance, it seems like Christian's got the edge on him a bit. So if you're training with someone on a regular basis who could be your biggest rival in the Olympics and you're doing similar kind of sessions, the chances are probably pretty slim that you're going to beat them. So I would actually say, if he actually wants to win Olympic gold, does he need to step away from the Norwegian method and actually go at his own way because he's doing the same training as Christian. But Christian's won Olympic gold. Christian's always had a bit of the edge in Olympic distance. How can you expect to beat someone who's your main training partner, who's maybe slightly better at that distance, if you're doing exactly the same thing? You know, it's like what Einstein said. The definition of insanity is to do the same thing over and over again and expect a different result. But could you make the same argument in reverse? Like Gustav is clearly the better long course athlete. Gustav on his day versus Christian on his day. Gustav is going to beat Christian um, at, at 9 out of 10 Ironman races they, they do against each other, in my opinion. So could you also say that maybe Christian shouldn't train with Gustav because if they're just doing the same thing, Gustav is always going to be get better well, come, come Ironman World Championships? With him, I'm saying a different type of training philosophy if he wants to win it. But the thing is, it's not necessarily about whether or not that Christian Christian's won 7.3 worlds now he's won Ironman worlds he's won Olympic golds Gustav hasn't won Olympic gold has he mm. then this is probably his last shot win Olympic gold so it's not about like you know necessarily that much it's like about if he wants to genuinely win Olympic gold 
And he's dead certain that that is a major thing that he wants to achieve. Is he going to do it under the same coaching philosophy um, as he's in now, when he's training with his potential biggest rival, doing the same sessions as his biggest rival, who's probably got the edge over him? Does he need to do something different, mix it up a bit? You know, you're doing the same thing as the person who's your biggest rival who's got the edge on you. So how, in my eyes, are you thinking that you're going to beat him when it comes down to race day? when you're doing the same training as him and he's naturally a little bit better than you at the short distance. But do you think from Gustav's perspective, Joe, to, to play devil's advocate with this, that Gustav believes they're in the best training environment in the world? He, I think they both believe that they're, they're the two best triathletes in the world and they're in the best system in the world. So is he just going to counter that by saying, yes, but if I go somewhere else, I'll just finish further behind? Yeah, like, but like, Jack, it's like, it's first or nothing, you know, it's the Olympics, <laughs> you know. He's going there to win. It's like, you could say he might be worse, but do you want to get second or do you want to get gold? But I think if he trains for Christian, he won't get gold. I think he might get second or he might get third, potentially. God, don't know what the other people are going to be like on the day, but I can't see him beating Christian at the Olympics if Christian's on top form into the current setup. And that's fine. He might want to get silver or bronze, which is absolutely fine. Stay where you are. But if he's dead certain about winning gold, I don't think in the current situation, training with Christian, his biggest rival, doing the same training with someone who seems like they've got the slight edge is going to result in a gold medal. That's just my opinion. It's interesting. And here's, uh, like, rather than that, here's my with main question for you. regards to the PTO you. racing, yeah, and Ironman racing, great. Stay where you are. It's obviously working. You're winning races. You can beat Christian. But we're talking about whether or not he for him to win a gold medal at the Olympics in 18 months, 19 months time, whenever it is. And I would just ask, like, is Christian just better? Is Alex Yee just better? Is Hayden Wild just better? And Gustav can't win an Olympic gold. Should Gustav take a step back and go, well, what would what what do I want my triathlon legacy to be? And in my mind, Gustav is the best Ironman athlete on the planet right now. I don't think there's anyone better. I think everyone on a start line in in their best shape. I genuinely believe no one beats Gustav. And I look at Nice and I go, that course is made for Gustav Eden. Look at what he did there in in the in the 2019 Ironman 70.3 World Championships. Look at what he did did at St George in the uh, the 2021 Ironman 70.3 World Championships. No one can beat Gustav when there's a hilly technical bike ride. That Nice course suits him so perfectly. Does Gustav look at that and go, well, why don't I just be a guy who tries to win five or six Ironman World Championships and become known as the best ever versus going across and, you know, spending a year, 18 months on this pursuit to, to win Olympic gold when realistically, um, you know, that might not be possible for Gustav, whereas he could focus on the Ironman distance and and take that chance to win two Ironman World Championships, which he's very capable of, and have three Ironman World Championships under his belt. Like, that's a real, real possibility. And and set himself up to go down as one of, one of if not the greatest Ironman athlete to ever live. I mean, I know what you're saying, Jack, but I definitely think he's beatable. Um, and I would have liked to have raced him in the form I was in Wales and on the Wales course. So I know he, uh, from what you're saying... You think he'd be unbeatable on a hilly technical course, but I think that that performance that I did on that course um, would have definitely made him work hard. Um, it was a long run, nearly 43 k's. I ran two foot two thirty-seven. Uh, trainer peaks two thirty-four. If it was, you know, an accurate forty-two k run, I don't know how much quicker he would have run. Would he have run quicker? 
I mean, there's 500 metres climbing on that run, 550 metres. And to be honest, I think that, I don't want to blow my own trumpet, but I think that that run was pretty decent. Like, if you do that run course, if people do, have done Wales, they know what that run's like, you know. And I think that that would, be, would have been pretty hard to beat if I got off the bike with someone in that run form. And that's bearing in mind, I had the race tied up with 10k to go. You know, if I'd have wanted to, I could have gone a minute and a half, two minutes quicker which would have been the equivalent of a 232 run with 550 metres of climb and technical course. Like, I think that's going to be pretty tough to beat. Bearing in mind, I did the bike course at a quicker pace if you take the 20 minutes off in Camworth bike record. So I wasn't sandbagging the bike, you know. Joe, I love it. It's been an absolute pleasure talking triathlon with you. I've got to let you go because people can probably hear and, and we've sort of touched on, but you started this interview at a cafeteria in an airport, then you've moved to the little lounge uh, where you wait to be seated and now you're sitting on the plane and this has been, uh, it, it's all going to get edited out so people won't know, but this has been one of the like funniest interviews ever where- I wish you know, I had my, more time, mate. I wish I had more time. I'm absolutely gutted I've got to leave it because I've got so much more I want to say. I want to get into some more uh, debates with you about stuff and other I know. things popping up. I mean, there's, I could go on for at least another hour and a half. You know, I always get, we always get into it, don't we? We always have to cut it at some point, you know. But I'm literally just getting warmed up. <laughs> We're going to do it again. We're for sure going to do it again. And I was so committed to you being episode one of 2023 that I was like, me and you have been, if people knew the struggles we've been going through to get this episode done, we've both had stuff on and that we're doing, we, we were so desperate that <laughs> you're finishing the yeah. interview sitting on a plane to the Middle East right now as we speak. So we're going to do part two. Um, but this was great, mate. You're, you are without question the, the funnest bloke in triathlon to talk to. You say stuff like that to everyone, Jack. I listen to your podcast. <laughs> I've never said that. It's something like that. I mean, it makes me laugh. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I just want to apologise for the sound quality. I know it's not going to be the best for people. And uh, yeah, I mean, normally it will be a lot better. But sorry about that. But thanks for uh, yeah getting us on, Jack. And great to chat to you. I, 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 do, I love chatting to you about triathlon and other stuff. You know, we could go on for hours, couldn't we? If we were in a room together, guys... Uh, I think we could put a whole room to sleep, couldn't we, on a night out? If people have sleep problems and they like sat in a bar and someone said to him, You've got to sit on a table with Jack and Joe talking about triathlon. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, there might be a, like that's the thing though, Joe. The the people who love triathlon, they fucking love it, just like us. So yeah. uh, they they probably would just they would love that. But then the the day to day person, yeah, we would probably yeah, put them to sleep. Say to them you, who has no idea about triathlon and make them sit on a table to us and uh, talk about triathlon and stuff like that in depth, going into the numbers. We could dive into the numbers, company on other stuff, and we'd be there for hours, wouldn't we? Yeah, well, that's what we're going to do. On our next episode, Joe, I'm going to get you on pretty soon and we're going to sit down and let's talk deep about training. Let's just go deep on... I've got... We've obviously got so much more to talk about, but we are going to go deep and let's do a really detailed I'll training. I'll tell you what chat. I would love to go detailed with. Someone who's done well at 17.3 or the middle distance and not done well at an Ironman and yep. see what they're doing different to me and then me see what I'm doing different to them and have a chat about it and what set kind of sessions we think work well. Well, let me organise it. Who do you think is the person that's the best example of that? I'll organise that episode. Uh, I mean, I don't want to piss the person off, but what comes to mind would be Tim Reid. I mean, he's been 70.3 world champion. He's won a shitload of 70.3. And I think if, he, if you could have gone back five years with the PTO races, he would have been targeting them and probably won one maybe this year. You know, he would have been the, the guy, wouldn't he? That would have been perfect for him, big money PTO races. But then over the full distance, he's had some success. 
but he's not had the same success as what he's had over the 70.3 distance, where when he was at his peak, he was the man to be, you know, winning world championships and dominated nearly every 70.3 he turned up to. All right. I'll reach out to Reedy. And, and uh, he's a coach as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I guess this is the funny thing, Joe. An athlete he coaches, Sam Appleton, might be someone you look at as sort of the same. Yeah, it'd be really interesting to see because I'm sure maybe we could learn some stuff from each other, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'll reach out. I'll make. I'll try my best to make that episode happen, and and we'll do that as our next episode. That'll be really good and compare. Yeah, the training that that makes someone the best seventy point three athlete in the world, but struggles at Ironman, and and then yourself, vice versa. That's going to be awesome. Yeah, no, great to chat to you and uh, catch you sometime. Uh, hope you hope you're doing well, and uh, thanks everyone for listening. All right, mate. Fly safe. Cheers. See ya. Bye. Thanks, mate. Bye.